You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. It's good to have you here. It's good to be here. And uh, one word of advice for you this year, get the flu shot. I did not, okay? Boy, did I pay for it this week. But we're back. We're feeling a lot better. It's good to be here. And I think we better begin with prayer, shall we? Oh, Lord God, we are amazed that you want to have your home with us, to abide with us, to be with us, and to gift us with the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we're asking you to enter in. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. Um, You know, uh, just come in such a way to get beyond our defense mechanisms or anything that would be a blind spot that would get in the way of what you want to teach today, what you want to be about today. Lord, be so foundational in our lives that you are the air we breathe and the ground we walk on and the food we eat and the light we see. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. It's good to be here. Okay, it really is. Let me tell you. Um, And it's good to be able to get back into this Foundations series, the building block of our lives. And we're going to be looking in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 26 as our text today. And uh, this uh, we're into now, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So we've kind of gone through, we took a break for three weeks for the Christmas season, and now we're back. And for the next four weeks, we're going to do this series. I believe, uh, again, foundations and starting with the Holy Spirit next week, the Holy Christian or Catholic, that means universal church, the communion of saints, and then the forgiveness of sins, and then the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, okay? But we're going to start out with I believe in the Holy Spirit, and we're looking in John chapter 14, 15 to 26. So you can follow along, I think, in the Bible app is um, the U version of that. The notes are there. And if not, we've got some Bibles outside, or you'll see it on the screen. Um, You can take notes today if you'd like. Here we go. Where Jesus is speaking to his disciples the night he's being betrayed, the night before he, in a sense, leaves. That's what he's talking about, okay? He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. In that day... You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we've said nearly all Christians over the last two millennia have actually confessed in one form or another or professed or said this is what we believe and have used in one form or another the words called the Apostles' Creed. It was started way back when and continues to the day, kind of summary of the foundational teachings of our lives. And when we've done that, we've done basically two different things when we or a church speaks or confesses the words of this creed. We first of all say, this is the story. This is our identity. This is our destiny. This is our direction, our purpose. This is where we get a sense of who we are, what we are about, where we're headed, what life is really about. Our sense of reality comes from this story. Everything comes from that our God has chosen to bind himself to us, to promise himself to us, to be with us as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And boy, does that make a difference for everything. So at first we say, this is who we are and what we confess, but we also have said over this time, when we confess this creed, we're also rejecting all the narratives, all the stories, all, as we would put it, the myths that this world has to offer of what life is all about, what the purpose is all about, what direction you should live, etc. And those myths we have said are different isms, you know? Each ism is basically a little way of this is how to live in order to get what you want, etc. And we've gone through materialism and hedonism and nationalism, I think we've talked about, and you name all the isms. We've even said optimism and pessimism. But today we're going to choose two isms that I think especially fit with this part of the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, that actually have found (coughs) some home among some Christians as well. But I think this part of the creed says, no, they don't really fit here. Okay, And the two different isms that we're saying we're rejecting, the isms of rationalism and mysticism. And you might go like, what is mysticism? Well, that's one of the mysteries of mysticism. You just don't really know. But we'll get to that. But first of all, we reject rationalism. And that is the teaching. And by the way, I think some of my childhood upbringing in a Christian church and in a Christian school had a sense of rationalism that basically the Christian faith is a set of propositions that if you just master and figure out and you can kind of nail it all down and understand it, it becomes an academic exercise. And then I figured it out. I got it under control. I understand how it works. Got it. As if I can rationally process and make sense of the scriptures and of God and come to it on my own reason. We're saying we reject that because we believe in the Holy Spirit who is going to give it and reveal it and teach it to us. As if the Christian faith is about information rather than about a relationship. Okay, so we reject rationalism. On the other hand, we reject mysticism. Now, mysticism is basically saying that through some process of altering my consciousness, in some form of some experience, I can enter into a state and get connected to God through some method or process. And though I can't tell you exactly what that is, When you know, you know. 
and you know you've arrived. I don't know what I know, but I know, you know? And you're going like, what? Well, there's a lot of people actually you talk to them and you go like, well, why are you, they go, well, I just had this gut reaction, you know? I just knew this was the right way to go. Have you ever heard people talk that way? They're kind of mystics. Now they might be right, but they might not be. But they're not, but they go for it. And what we're really saying is not that there isn't a mystery or, or experiences that we will experience. Faith becomes experiential. When you actually get involved and you trust God, you pray and you, and then God answers, it's an experience. Faith creates its own experiences, but it's not based on experience. It's not that I create an experience to get there. It's not a feeling per se. It's trust in God's promises and what he gives us. And we say the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us that faith through the word of truth, through God, the gospel that comes to us. So I can't create it. I don't come to that. So there was this man about 500 years ago who tried to be a mystic himself. He tried to figure it all out that way and kind of climb into, you know, pray himself up into getting connected to God. It didn't work for him. It fell apart. And he tried to rationally come to conclusions and try to figure it all out and study it all, and it didn't work. And his name was Martin Luther. This is his 500th year this year of the, uh, the anniversary of the time he nailed it to the wall, you know. And, uh, and um, but anyways... And he said, basically, those things didn't work. And he came to this conclusion. And he said this about this part of the creed, specifically in the Holy Spirit. He says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason, that is rationality, or strength, as in my exerting, trying to get there, to believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit calls me by the gospel, enlightens me with his gifts, sanctifies and keeps me in the true faith. That is the good news that we're saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit. He's the one that does it. He's the one that gives it. He's the one that it's all about. So those are the two things that we're rejecting today because we got something much better. Okay, we've got something much better. So in John 14 that we read, Jesus is having his um, last long talk with his disciples whom he loves, you know? He's washed their feet, he's cared for them, he's given them his, his body and blood. He says, take and eat, take and drink, this is mine. He's spending this last moment with them, okay? Because just in a few hours, he's gonna be betrayed, he's gonna be crucified, and even after the resurrection, he only spends moments with them, if you notice where he's kind of pops in and pops out. He talks for a little while, comes out. He comes here, comes there. So he doesn't have a long extended discourse anymore. This is the last one, right? Before he ascends into heaven. So tell me, when you're going to talk to people whom you love, you know, this is it. You don't have much more time. You're not going to be around them any longer. You don't talk about the weather, do you? I don't care how cold it is outside. You may, oh yeah, it's cold. Okay, let's talk about what really matters. And what does he talk about? He talks about the a Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am leaving, but I'm going to come to you. My Father and I are going to come to you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
and we're going to make our home with you. And he gets very personal and very intimate in this talk. So we're going to learn a couple of things in this. Today we're going to learn who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and how I believe this part of the creed, like we've taken through this grid before, how the Holy Spirit gives us clarity, balance, and belonging. Okay? Sound good? Let's start with who the Holy Spirit is. Now, Jesus gives us some clues here. He gives us some clues. He says in this text, you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Notice? Now, you go like, where's the clue? What, wh- who is that? Who? Notice he uses a personal pronoun for the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very important because a lot of people somehow think the Holy Spirit's some force, some power, some, you know, some, you know, yes, the force, right? I guess the Star Wars kind of thing. And so all you do is you have to get aligned with this and kind of connect with this and, it, and you can manipulate. You can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. He's not a power that you plug into. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He's not something that... He is a person, a person with more personality than I have, that's for sure, okay? He's a person who has a will, who has desires, who has ways, who, you know, who delights, who loves, who, yes, he's a person just like any person is a person with all of these attributes. And what does he desire to do? What does he want? What does he like? What does he not like, etc. And we find out even that uh, the Holy Spirit is a person that I can even grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible will talk about, you don't grieve a force, you do grieve a person, and he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul says that. And to the Ephesians, when you look at that passage, he's talking about, well, you're biting and devouring each other. You're not getting along. You've got jealousies and quarrels and divisiveness and egos all involved. (laughs) Boy, the Holy Spirit's sad over this. This is not what the Holy Spirit wants to see. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, at the same time, and this is probably why so many people just have a hard time getting in their minds that the Holy Spirit is a person, is because so many of the images that the New Testament even shares about the Holy Spirit sounds more like a thing than a person. You know, the Holy Spirit comes as a dove, so we think kind of, you know, we're not sure what that means. And then the Holy Spirit, the tongues of fire and the wind, you know, or like in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, be filled with the Spirit. And that word there is to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. But remember, he is a person. He's never called an it, a thing. And so what does it mean to be filled with a person? Do you understand what I mean by that? That your life is filled with this person, personality, this presence of this person in your life. Well, kind of imagine if you got a phone call, and I know the queen's been sick, but... um, phone call that the queen's coming to your house and spending a week there. And they're saying, oh, don't worry about anything. It's not like she, she wants to just get to know what American life is really like in a real family. They say that the queen always smells fresh paint wherever she goes. Do you get what I mean? You know what's going to happen in your house if the queen's coming over, right? 
oh my gosh, get the get that magic eraser out <laughs> and you know straighten everything. But basically, what happens is the presence of someone royal coming into your house would change all the relationships in that house for the week that she would be there, right? And it's not that you're just trying to put on a show. And you'd feast, and then you'd feast some more, and you'd just, the, the, the conversations would be so much deeper, and you'd, you'd probably say things about your children, like, oh, you got to get to, aren't they, they're just precious gifts. And you're, you're being honest, you're being true. These things are real. It's not like just a show, it's not like fake. It's the fact that the royal presence of someone can alter everything in every relationship and enhance it and deepen it and see it for what it is. And the, our Lord and Savior is saying that's when the Holy Spirit as a person comes into your life. He calls him another advocate in here. And that word for another in the Greek means similar to the same as me advocate. And so Jesus being divine himself is saying the Holy Spirit is the divine presence, my divine presence, sent by me to be in your life, royalty, so that you are royal. You are honored. You are special. You are set apart. You are sanctified. That's kind of what the word means, to be set apart, holy. And the Holy Spirit brings all that as a person and changes every one of those relationships. So being filled with a person is being in love and awe over who's in my life and why, what that's all about. It means that I'm walking around always aware of who's here and what's going on. So the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? We kind of gotten into a little of that just by his presence changing some of this. Jesus uses two phrases here that we're going to, we're going to translate this way. He's called the spirit of truth, and then he's also called the ultimate friend. Now, that's not what any of the biblical translations has, but I'm going to explain what that means. First of all, the spirit of truth. Notice when Jesus says that the Holy Spirit's come, he's going to be the spirit of truth who brings you into all truth, who's going to recall everything that I have said and done for you. And this is great news for us. So we're not dependent on how good Peter's memory was. Do you know what I mean? We're not dependent on John and what he wrote down right then when Jesus was talking, the Holy Spirit was going to come into their lives to remind them and to teach them and to use them of everything that Jesus had and to disclose to them the reality and the truth. And so when we do get them speaking in the book of Acts, when we do get them teaching, and when we do get them writing the gospels and epistles and all. We have the Holy Spirit who is teaching through that, and we get the spirit of truth, the reality of Jesus' presence and who he is given to us. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not like the Bible is this dead book that sits on a table, and I open it up, and boom, but it's a living, breathing, active word that's different than any other word. And the Holy Spirit is the one who then brings that word to life and gives me an understanding. It's not my rationality that he uses my rationality, but it's not that that does it. So like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. In other words, it's not my academics that gets me to understand what the Bible is saying. It's not, you know, there's no way. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us an understanding. So the Holy Spirit gives you understanding when God's word is preached, when the gospel is shared, when you read the Bible, when you hear, you go like, yes, and you can respond to it and you see the reality of it and your eyes are open and you get it. It's the only way the word of God is really the word of God. You know, without the Holy Spirit, the words of the Bible just become words. Just words, information. Thoughts. You can play Bible trivia all your life and not get anything out of it, really, right? You can win the Bible category on Jeopardy. Boom, get them all right. By the way, have you ever noticed how easy those ones are? Why are the presidents so hard? Or Shakespeare, I don't understand. I don't get those categories. The Bible category, boom, 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 boom. You know, come on, it's Moses, of course. I mean, come on, choose something like Mahershal al-Hashbaz or something to make it difficult. Well, it just shows how much I don't know about any of those subjects. But the point is, the Holy Spirit is the only one who turns these words into good news for us, translates them, gives us that ability. We're always praying for God's Spirit to be involved And any time that we open God's word, it's like, Holy Spirit, if you aren't here, I don't understand this, and it won't make any sense to me, won't make any difference for me. There was a uh, theologian, a Danish guy named Reagan Prenter, who wrote a book on the Holy Spirit, and he said this, if God does not speak into the heart, all that you listen to is outward word. The outward word remains the word of man and law. In other words, it's really kind of scary, but it's one of my prayers all the time for preaching is not boy, God, can you make me really, really exciting today? Okay, that's not... (laughs) It's God, Holy Spirit, will you open our ears to really hear you and teach today? If you're not teaching, if you're not present, I don't care how good the message is, it doesn't do anything. That's why Jesus says again and again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's like got to have open ears. The Holy Spirit's got to open those ears, you know? So it happens, and it does happen. I've seen it happen. Someone can say, hey, God really loves you, and the person doesn't hear what that really means. Instead, they just hear, oh, I don't believe in God, so I guess I do, you know? And then it's like, well, how do you, and it's like it becomes words of just law, and words, human words, and not divine words. They're not mad. The Bible's not magic, and I've seen some people almost try to use it as magic. I think some of the preachers at FGCU kind of just, you know, say something and expect the Holy Spirit's going to, it's like the Holy Spirit's a person. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can also start speaking in ways and using God's word that he doesn't really want you to use it that way, and in the end, it doesn't do anything. Because he's not in it. He doesn't want to be in that, especially in the way and the attitudes and the types of preaching that can happen. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's like all of a sudden there's just nothing there. There's no gospel being spoken, you know? So I can just automatically, because 
I, you know, I had these thoughts as a kid especially, but wouldn't it be great to just get a loudspeaker on top of my, you know, a portable loudspeaker and go to the beach? And when everybody jumps in the water, I, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Boom! A thousand new people are Christians that day. Wow, let's just keep going around and doing that. As if the Holy Spirit does it that way. Do you understand what I mean? It's almost treating the word of God as a magic that the miracle it is and that the person is behind it and the intent and the relationship. That's what's going on. Of course the Holy Spirit uses God's word. But the Holy Spirit better be using it, not just me, to get what I want out of it. You know? Instant church. Yeah, let's get a crowd. No, it's not a force to be manipulated. You can reject him. You can grieve him. You can thrill him. You can relate to him. He relates to you. He's a spirit of truth, and everything he does aligns with the truth of who Jesus is and what he's about. And so when I preach, when I teach, when I'm with people, all of that is like, Lord, align me to the way that you are so that what is spoken fits in with that, and you get what you want out of this situation, right? Okay. So then Jesus also uses this phrase in this. It's a Greek word, parakleton. Um, you've heard of parallel, right, or parallelograms. The first word para, which means to come alongside of, and kleton is actually for kalao. It's a version of that, and to call out, to speak, Etc. So the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. Have you ever heard that term paraclete before? What does it mean? Nobody knows. So we, you notice the translation, our translation is different. Every translation of this word is really tough because it's like none of them really work that well. So some translations will use advocate. Others will use the word helper. I think ours does here. Others will use the word comforter. And others will use the word counselor. And none of them are quite adequate to explain. And that's why I believe, I'm going along with Tim Keller on this. He's a pastor in New York City. And he said, advocate is too strong, while helper is too weak. And comforter is kind of too mushy and soft. And counselor is too detached. He's our ultimate friend. Someone who comes alongside us parallel, who will stick with us no matter what, but who also calls to us and speaks to us things that we can't speak for ourselves and we need to hear sometimes on one side of it and sometimes on the other, okay? An ultimate friend who will be with you no matter what and who is going to speak to you what's best for you, no matter what, who loves you so deeply, is only concerned about your good and what's best for you in relationship to God. That's who you have in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes there are some things I don't like to hear about myself, and the Holy Spirit has to convict me, convince me of them. You know? For instance, John 16, later on in this same dialogue, Jesus says, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let me tell you, one of the things I don't like to admit, I make mistakes. 
you know, I'll say mistakes were made. <laughs> Have you ever heard people say mistakes were made? Yeah, well, that's, not, that's really owning up, isn't it? So the Holy Spirit comes and lets me know, um, hey, John, you know that's not right. You know that's not going right. It's off. That's not with the truth. That's not about Jesus. That's not about this. Do you realize what's going on here? And he convicts us and lets us know it's hard for us to take because we don't like to hear it. And yet we need the ultimate friend to come alongside us and do that. On the other hand, there are times that it's like that's all I can see is my mistakes and my mix-ups and all of that stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh, I screwed up again. And I'm just in this. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside and then has to speak another word to me. And Romans chapter 8 says, for the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And he comes and says, it's not about that. You are God's child. You are his beloved. You have a father. You are not alone. You are not an orphan. You, are, you have someone. You are forgiven. You are loved more than you absolutely could ever imagine. You will never be forsaken. You will never be left alone. You will never be abandoned. You have your God's seal placed upon you. You are his child. You were baptized into his name. He will never leave you or forsake you. There is no way around it. You are his. That's an ultimate friend to remind you when you're so down on yourself. 1 John 3 says, For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And he has to come in at times and say, Okay, enough of that pity party. Enough of that getting down in yourself. Look up and see your Savior. And the Holy Spirit does that. So he's the one who sees that you're working yourself to death just to prove yourself in this world. He's the one who sees that you're manipulating relationships just to eke out just a little acceptance from some people. He's the one who sees that you've been addicted to power or to comfort or to ease. He's the one who's going to stick to you through all of that and convince you of your need for God to convince you as well of your freedom in Jesus Christ, to convince you you've got someone with you always who will never leave you or forsake you, and that God is going to bring all this to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And I think then what the Holy Spirit is really giving us are those three things, clarity and balance and belonging. First of all, clarity. Now, notice what I said at the beginning, it's the Holy Spirit, it's not my rationality that brings me to faith, and it's not my experience of whipping myself up into enough sincerity to receive it, but it is a gift of the Holy Spirit that I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? I can't really look down on anybody because they don't believe yet, because it's not my intellect that got me there, and it's not my sincerity that got me there. It is the Holy Spirit who has given me faith to believe and trust in these words of promises. And so my prayer for people is not, oh, they are so stupid, I don't understand it, or they are so immoral, I just don't get it. No, it's not any of that. It's not any judgment on that. It's like, Holy Spirit, 
However you did it and you convinced me, can you start convincing them? And can you use me to be part of your answer to bring them to understand how much they are forgiven and how much they are loved and how much they need you? So we're on the same level always. Brings me clarity. I don't treat people as if they're down there or even up there, but they're right here where we are. Clarity. Secondly, balance. Like I said, the Holy Spirit is one, not my reason and not my own strength. So I, we have a balance in the Christian life. Absolutely. Does God use my intellect? Of course. He uses my mind. He also uses my heart. And the two of them get to work together by the Holy Spirit. Right? So we don't have to go into rationalism. We don't have to go into mysticism. We can allow the gift of our minds and the gift of our hearts, the gift of our experiences and all that to be balanced by the Holy Spirit and we can live in that gospel goodness right in the midst of it. Okay? And finally, belonging. And maybe this one's the most important in this section because Jesus' whole last few chapters of why he spoke to his disciples could be summarized in that phrase, I will not leave you as orphans. Okay? You belong. You might not feel it always, but you belong. Now, I don't know about if you've ever felt like an orphan. I can recall a couple times in my life, the first time I walked into my college dorm room, I walked into this empty yucky cinder block space with two weird beds, knowing I was going to get a roommate that I didn't really know, right, that well, and you go into that space, you've just left home for the first time, and you realize, I'm on my own. Now, college can be a most wonderful place, but it can be the loneliest place that we have in our American culture, and you can feel like an orphan. The other time I realized it is when um, about 19 years ago, my father passed away suddenly, and I think when I was home, or maybe it was even a month afterwards, when I came back to California, home there, rather than going home to the funeral, you know, you always have that generation in front of you, and then all of a sudden, they're, you know, he's gone, and it's like, I'm an orphan now. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel that in life? You see, we were created for community. We were created for deep and abiding relationships. And we have this angst, this longing in us for that. And so we're always searching in some form for that. And at first in our families, parents, you know, there are everything as we're little children. But somewhere along the line, it doesn't take long. They become part of the problem. And all of a sudden you realize, huh, they're just trying to control my life. I kind of want to do it my way. And so you get this teenage angst and the parents become a problem. You start seeking that connectivity with people outside, like my peers, people who are like me, because they're going to understand me so much better than my parents would ever do. And so I want to be with the cool kids or the drama kids or the, the, the jocks or the athletes or the, the beautiful children or the whatever they are, you know, the goths. Or I create my own group. And so you're finding that. But even in that group, you realize somehow there's still not everything there. And in fact, you get this sense of alienation because it's only so long as 
in those relationships, in those tribes. So long as I've got something to offer the rest of the group, I'm included, and when I'm, you know, not. But we're looking for that. And then we get to college and we join, you know, this group or that group or this or that organization. And man, we think that's the ultimate. I was just at a retreat for, LS, uh, for FGCU i got to remember which college I'm at now. At FGCU, LSU was way back in the 80s. Um, FGCU, and um, at that, you know, it was for the Greek life and all these, uh, and basically they're looking for fraternity and sorority and sisterhood and brotherhood, and they've got all these great ideals, and you can see they're trying to find their ultimate in those chapters. And you know what happens in each of these chapters. Yeah, they're on each other's cases, things aren't working out, they realize the alienation, all that stuff. It just, we're looking for the ultimate and it's just not there. And then, then, hey, we turn to romance. You know, I'm going to find the significant other and find my soulmate and everything and my partner for life, my friend. And we get married. And then... We realize, you don't have everything for me. Hmm, maybe I need to fix you, right? I need to fix this because it should be everything in this relationship. This is not what it's all supposed to be. Let me try to fix this situation. Let me try to fix me. And the more we try to fix it, the more messed up it gets. Have you noticed? And the more it doesn't quite work. And hey, wait a minute. And then all of a sudden we feel this distance between us and we're trying to figure all this stuff out. And then it's like, well, I guess, you know, our relationship is really struggling, but let's, you know what, let's, let's have a baby. Because that's going to solve it. Now you laugh, but that is the suburban, basically American 20-something, 30-something thing to do, is we're going to create a relationship in this, and we're going to, all of a sudden, then I can focus on this child, and then we raise this child, and it's like, oh, yeah, he, she is going to be everything for me, and I can, you know, I am basically everything for this child, and isn't this wonderful? And then we start realizing it's not working because all of a sudden they have a will of their own. We gotta fix them. And the more we try to fix it, the more alienated it gets and the more messed up that gets. And then we go to the church and the church doesn't help us out because the church is telling us, well, you're doing this wrong in your relationship and you need to be better at this and you're not parenting the right way. And if you do just this and this technique and that technique, everything works out. You got these wonderful relationships. Everybody feels like they belong and they fit and they don't. And you know that, right? Somewhere along the line, hopefully, hopefully a lot longer before than all of this, you realize your best is never going to be good enough. Your best is never going to be good enough. Their best will never be good enough for you. And what you get is the ultimate friend who comes in and gives you the ultimate sense of belonging, who says, Jesus says, and my Father and I will come and we will make a home with you. What you've been always looking for, what we've all looked for, what we're all trying to find is right here. I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to make him and make our home with him. You've got the ultimate belonging, and once you have that, then their best is good enough. Your children's best is more than enough. Your friend's best, your best, is much more than enough because you've got the ultimate who forgives and who loves and who fills and connects. So the prayer above all prayers, wherever you are today, is come Holy Spirit. Come fill me. Make your home in me. Be my ultimate friend. And bring Jesus to be at home with me forever. And let me know that I'm absolutely loved. I am absolutely yours. And you are that paracleton, the one who's going to stick to me no matter what and who's going to keep calling to me to draw me closer in whatever way. You belong. So some of you today, I don't know, I don't know where people are at the beginning of 2017. Can you believe it's 2017? Wow. Um, Maybe all of this just sounds like information again to you. I don't know. I'm hoping the Holy Spirit is working and saying in such a way that you can trust and you can let go and you don't have to try your best anymore, but you can be the best because he will be present with you and give you everything that you need. But I want to pray right now for all of us, whether we've believed before and we believe now or this may be the first time that we're going to believe. Let's do that and pray for what the Holy Spirit can do. Lord Jesus, we need you. And we thank you that you did not leave us as orphans. We need you to be in control and to be at home in us. Holy Spirit, come. Be our counselor, our comforter, our helper, our advocate. Be that ultimate friend so that we can rest in knowing that we belong, that we are saved absolutely by grace through the spirit, through the truth that you bring the gospel, through what Jesus has done and ultimately gives, that we have that clarity and that certainty that you would give us right now, O Lord, as well, the balance, that we don't try to seek to control with our mind or control through emotions, but to let you be in control of both and to be balanced by you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are overjoyed right now in giving us your spirit and being present here. That Holy Spirit, you are delighted right now that we welcome you, that we receive you, that we accept you. And we know, Lord, next week when we get to talk about how you now unite us 
and knit us into this fellowship called the church, this family, that you're going to help us to learn to belong with others. And I pray, Lord, that you would be working in anyone who's felt like an orphan in any way or alone right now, that you would make them home with you here. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your most a powerful name through death and resurrection that you've given us. Amen.